This is an interview with Andrew Marsh, singer and guitarist for Winter Hearth, by Nick Perkel on Sunday, August 23rd, 2020. Now, Andrew, can you give me an introduction on yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Andrew Marsh. I am uh, from Newfoundland, Labrador, Canada. I play guitar and vocals in the, the black and thrash metal band Winter Hearth, and I also play bass for a skateboard punk band called DIY, or Dead in Our Youth. Tell me your musical history, like when you first picked up a guitar, and also what it was like growing up in Bonavista. All right. Um, it all started when my father surprised me with a guitar for Christmas when I was in grade seven. And up until that point, I wasn't really a heavy music listener. It was more like, I guess, whatever came on radio, whatever my friends had on. So just having this new thing, I, and I like to learn. I like to find, as like anything, I'm a bit of a nerd. So once I get interested in something, I got to find a history. I got to find as much of it as I can. And shortly after I started playing guitar, I got really into uh, Metallica, Megadeth, a lot of thrash metal. A lot of more uh, technical bands at the time, uh, which led me to want to learn music theory. So, of course, growing up in Bonavista, there's not really much access, only luckily having the internet. <laughs> I mean, Bonavista is only a town with about 3,000 people, and there's only a small pocket of like true blue metalheads. And I mean, everyone were into like the early thrash metal and the early death metal days, new wave British metal stuff. But as I've uh, Gotten older, started learning more songs. I began to learn music theory, buying books, DVDs, finding lessons online, YouTube videos of guitar players, talking about their methods to their madness. Eventually, after high school, I went to a music and recording arts program. Uh, originally, I wanted to go get a music theory major. Right before I um, called that plan off, I realized like I, I don't want to be a teacher. I can't. I just can't do it. So I went into the recording side and landed me a job as a AV technician in St. John's, Newfoundland, which is the capital of the province. Now, where you live in Canada, what are the popular styles of metal and describe the scene you're a part of? Well, we're the most eastern province in Canada, Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, Labrador is attached to the mainland of the country. We're on an island. Uh, the province's population is only about half a million, and the towns are pretty spread. So the metal scene here is not really so much, for example, it's not like a Florida death metal scene or a grindcore in the United Kingdom. It's just metal as a massive whole. Um, for example, you got like Devastator, which does a real cool like groove metal style. Over on the western side of the island, you got Altamata. Uh, they're a up-and-coming band. They got a real cool deathcore sound. Um, if you're into White Chapel, a great band to check out. You also got um, Category Six, uh, kind of an old-school power metal vibe. If you think like uh, Gamma Ray, Running Wild, Edgy or Ed Guy. I'm not sure how you pronounce that band name. You also got Disposition, which is a uh, if you're into Rage Against Machine or the new metal stuff, that's a great band to check out. And then you got us, which is I always go for. Thrash, black metal. I'm I'm a huge progressive uh, music fan in general. Uh, stoner and doom metal is also pretty big here. We got Chevy, which been those guys have been on the go now probably over thirty years. And at one point they were signed to Rise Above Records with Lee Dorian. Tell me about 
the creative community like your podcasters, zinesters, and writers? Oh, um, two best ones to come to mind would be uh, Heavy Newfoundland. We got uh, Greg, who he, he's currently living in Montreal, but he uh, does everything to curate Newfoundland rock and metal as a whole. He tries his hardest to uh, get your music out there, trying to show the world that uh, you know we have a metal scene too. You also got um, another writer, uh, Dylan Collins, who writes for uh, the Newfoundland Herald, a local outlet here. He tries to do as much as he can. Well, the Herald's more of a mainstream and t- like more of a TV kind of outlet, but uh, there, there's a lot of talk on local music as well, and he tries to sneak metal in there whenever he can. <laughs> what are some personal events when it came to your band members that helped make each release unique? Ooh, that's a good question, considering every full-length album has a different lineup, and we're only a three-piece band. <laughs> uh, well, the original lineup of Winter Hearth was myself, Robbie Butler on bass, and Michael Small on drums. I'll never forget the night we debuted the song Witchcraft, which is the uh, third, fourth, fourth song on Curse of Summer, trying to remember. Uh, we played that for the first time ever, and uh, Mike had a pop in his elbow. He didn't know what it was, and the next day his elbow was swollen. Went to a doctor, and he had a blood clot, and he had to basically sit out for six months. But the six months turned into a few years because... Uh, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. He wanted to keep doing music. So we had a guy named Zach. And Zach was definitely the right guy for Curse of Summer because Curse of Summer, being a real strict uh, black kind of thrash metal approach, I mean, that's exactly what Zach was into. So me and him vibed really well. Robbie always tries to be, um, I think Robbie's approach to everything is what will Cliff Burton do. So he likes to be, uh, he likes to go to 11 the whole time with his uh, tracks. Uh, not long after Curse of Summer, um, myself and Zach, we parted ways. I wish him all the best. Mike came back, and we were just talking about how we liked the Gothenburg scene. So we began writing again. I actually, uh, that's when Resettlement began, and I tried. Uh, tuning to a drop C tuning rather than my whole step down. And because of that, Mike's suggestions and stuff. Resettlement came out about 12 to 14 months later. 14 months later, yes. And then shortly after Resettlement, myself and Mike prior to ways, again, wish him all the best. And then we got Brad Ivany. Brad comes from a progressive background, to say the very least. Um, he was... In theory, school, but I realized it wasn't for him. After a few gigs with Brad, we began writing tracks for the new album now, Riverbred Empire, which was released two days ago. Right before that was going to happen, Robbie decided he didn't want to be in the band anymore, that music wasn't for him. So that was really interesting because I've known Robbie. Well, Robbie, me and Robbie started Winter Earth really when we were in high school in 2008. And now after 10 years, he didn't want to be a parable anymore. But luckily, I was rehearsing in a Ramones tribute act. And the vocalist, Lenny, I was just uh, shooting a breeze with him one day. And 
he said uh, he plays bass and the guitar as well. And I was like, I said, you want to try it for Winter Hearth just to see how you, if you like it? And at that point, he never even heard any of it. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot. And within first or 12 hours when he listened to our music, he's like, dude, I'm all about this. He's like, I'm not sure. I come from a hard, more of a punk background. I'm not sure how I'm going to do well with metal. And I said, well, give it a shot anyway. And I mean, he's here today. And so far, the reception having Lenny is great. So hopefully this lineup stays for another album. <laughs> now, when it came to writing techniques like experimenting with different scales and things of that nature, what types of things did you use for this album? Oh, that's awesome. Um, great question. For the guitar solos, I try to more keep it simple approach. Usually I'm trying to do different modes. Or if a song is more chaotic, I just think, uh, what would Carrie King do? <laughs> I used a lot of pentatonic scales, especially the minor and pentatonic neutral. I tend to use the melodic minor scale a lot. And now I don't really sit down and say, I'm going to use this scale for specifically. I usually record it. Then I go back and say, oh, look, it was that scale. That was for the guitar solos. Usually in my rhythm, I use a lot of natural harmonic minor. I dabble with Hungarian minor every now and then. Uh, for the rhythm, I usually use uh, natural and harmonic minor. I like to use a lot of diminished fifths. I like to use a lot of major sixths. I like to use a lot of scales from uh, Chinese and Japanese. And I like to use, the uh, best way to describe it, when I'm doing key changes... I try to avoid the the one and five method, but usually that's usually my go-to if I'm stuck on how I should transform uh, transcend to the next riff. Uh, one interesting fact: uh, the song "First Frost Harvest," the middle part after uh, when it goes from being a six-eight to a four-four, and um, I'm ringing out an E major chord, the Locrian mode in the bridge right after that section, right before I go back to the six-eight, and the reason why is because um, a lot of people claims that the Locrian mode is the hardest scale to make work. The main reason why is because, I'm pretty sure it's because of the diminished fifth. It doesn't have a perfect fifth in the scale. The most well-known song when it comes to the Locrian mode that will come to most people's mind would be Army of Me by Bjork. So that was, uh, I said, I'm going to write this scale, I'm going to make it a challenge just to see if I can do it. And of course, uh, Brad, when I showed Brad our drummer, he tried to interpret it to me as Phrygian mode. I was like, no, 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 it's Locrian mode. It's not the Phrygian mode. It's like, it's, it's Locrian. And then after a second listen, he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. It's Locrian mode. I just kept resolving on the third rather than the fifth. As a writer, how do you view historical events from the outside looking in? I always say to people, I try to do it like if I was in a time machine going back and just as a spectator and when I'm watching documentaries or reading books the one thing that always comes to mind when I'm writing about historical events is usually corruption with power and you see a lot of for example at the end of the day really it's just how many people are getting murdered because of someone's agendas and and it's probably going to make me sound like crazy conspiracy theorists but a lot of the times, too, the average Joe will say, like, he doesn't really know what he or she doesn't really know what's on the go because regimes, governments, kingdoms, 
dictatorships, they're all, they're always hiding what they're really trying to do. Could be territorial gain. Could be trying to take away people's freedoms. You never know. So I always try to write from a, a spectator aspect. You don't want to come off like you're choosing sides because then that's when that's when the controversy really begins. And I, you shouldn't really choose sides anyway. I mean, history is in the past, but at least you can learn so it doesn't ever get repeated. Now you got. Annabelle, the keyboardist for Devilment, to feature on your song Marshlands. What was it like working with her, and what kind of story are you trying to share in the song? She is an amazing person to work with. Very down-to-earth, very approachable. Phenomenal musician. Phenomenal knowledge in music. Great person to have on your team. With Marshlands, I was really trying to show Newfoundland folklore with People who pick uh, bake apples, some people call them cloudberries, some people call them marshberries, and how to really get them. You've really got to go deep into the woods, into a bog, pick a bucket, depending on where you're to. It can be an eight-hour day. So, of course, I tried to do that aspect of Newfoundland culture and tried to put a horror spin on it, along with the old saying of always listening to your elders because they know. So the song of Marshland starts off very beautiful. Newfoundland has lots of beautiful scenery. I tried to portray that into the evil. Some people call it life's beautiful darkness. And I try to tell a story of someone who didn't listen to her elders or the town's elders, goes into a section of the woods that no one dares to go, and appears a demonic creature. And unfortunately, she didn't make it out alive. On North Star, Be My Guide, I believe that's symbolism for holding on through dark times. What was the in- the original inspiration for that? Originally, it came from always hearing stories of when people are lost and how the North Star helps people guide them through if they're in the ocean or if they're lost in the woods or in the desert. And I thought at the time, what a great concept if you had to write about mental health, for example, like someone who's going through depression, someone who has suicidal thoughts, someone who has massive anxiety, because we all have been there. It does feel like you're lost in the woods somewhere. Unfortunately, some people take a different route and they end their life themselves. But with this song, I tried to make the story to being someone is lost in the woods, but they see the North Star to help guide them out of the woods. I mean, that North Star could be your friend who you talk to in these rough times who get you out of it. Could be your spouse. Could be a psychiatrist you see. Could be who knows what it is. I mean, everyone got everyone got different breaking points. And everyone got their own way of coping with things. For your song, The Shipwright, it's about nationalism to twist the minds. Is this directed at the past or the present? Honestly, I would say past, present, and future. <laughs> the Shipwright, specifically, I've written about. Originally, I was going to write about someone who just builds ships. But then I said, you know, I could do a cool historical view on it. And when you think historical ships and history and battles, one ship that always comes to my mind is the Bismarck. And I think of the Battle of Denmark Strait for uh, anyone out there who uh, likes to research World War II history. And um, World War II, to me, a great example of nationalism on opposite ends of each spectrum because you had fascism, national socialism, and then you had communism and, of course, capitalism. Like you name it. I mean, it's called a world war for a reason. And showing how with extreme ideologies and what i always consider an extreme ideology lack of freedom lack of freedom of speech and usually anywhere that will promote violence towards anyone really and and those kind of ideologies they're easy to mold when a country is down and out which is what happened i i like to think what happened with germany i mean they lost the war 
inflation in Germany post-World War One was ridiculous. And along comes this man who says, these people are the problem. We're going to make Germany great again. And most, if not all, extremist governments, one thing a lot of them all pride over is their military. So I use that with the Bismarck. I always consider the Bismarck to be uh, Hitler's naval baby. He probably thought it was going to be the terror of the seven seas. But it took 96 hours of constantly pummeling it. And that showed a different outcome as you hear it in the final verse of the shipwright. And it shows how evil nationalism can be of any sort. doesn't matter where you're from or what you believe in. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being private where you're from. But it can be bad once people start saying, well, these people are why we're getting shafted. They're preventing us from being this. They're preventing us from being that. we got to overcome. And really, it's all agendas behind the scenes when you think about it. What types of inroads are people in your musical community doing to revive your active music scene? Oh, that's a tough one because um, at the moment, where I'm living to, with COVID-19, we can only have up to 100 people at the moment. Currently, there are no cases. There hasn't been any shows for rock or metal since COVID came down. Um, However, the Irish scene here uh, this past weekend uh, did a a drive-in concert, which was pretty cool to see. You're starting to see um, bands taking the live stream approach, which is all really we can do right now because we're one day at a time. Because like everywhere, we don't know what the next hour is going to bring with this COVID uh, pandemic. What would you say is your most hallowed musical possession? Three comes to mind. Most prized. From a sentimental aspect, I would say all the friends and people I met through all the shows I played, the traveling, lots of great fun times, great friends. You can't replace that. Like Nothing can beat that. Uh, another thing would be my uh, my 60th anniversary Fender American Strat that my father gave to me for passing grade nine. I had an Epiphone SG Special starter guitar, and it kept falling apart on me because I was playing for like 12 to 40. So he said, man, you, you don't cause no trouble. You always respect everything I've ever gotten you. So he got me. I was originally going to get this uh, Jackson JS Series Kelly, but he, instead he got me a Fender Strat. And I was like, What? And now, from another aspect of possessions, it would probably be my cane, my walking stick that I caught from Alice Cooper. First mainstream concert I ever went to was Alice Cooper for the Along Came a Spider Tour in eight at Mile One Stadium in St. John's. He played No More Mr. Nice Guy. That was the second track in. He had a walking cane. He threw it on the other side of the arena. I was like, damn it. I wanted that. So, uh, of course, Alice Cooper being the showman he is. Uh, he threw out diamond, fake diamond necklaces. I couldn't catch those. The dude behind me got that. He threw guitar picks. Uh, his musicians threw guitar picks. <laughs> couldn't get any of those. Eventually, he jumped out after getting hanged. He popped out of the door and school's out started. And he had another walking stick. And he threw it in my direction. And I jumped over three bodies. I didn't care. I was getting that stick come hell or high water. And I got it. And people tried to fight me for it. And I was like, no, it's mine. <laughs> Do you know any local folklore to your region, like a ghost story or something like that, that you could share? My favorite one off the top of my head would be the story of Kitty Casey, which is what I used uh, from the first one of her album, Curse of Summer. The final track, Dementia, is actually about this uh, one story. Back in the 1860s in a town, Elliston, outside of Bonavista, lived a woman named Kitty Casey. And her man was trialed for stealing. And she was so dramatically overwhelmed by it she decided to commit suicide in the most dramatic fashion 
by stabbing herself in the throat five times and letting her bleed herself out. Some say she did it on the beach. Others say she did it in her house. And of course, back in those days, we're talking the 1860s, suicide to the Christian church. You didn't get buried in a Christian burial ground. Pretty sure they just took the body and buried it at a random spot in the woods, which is actually across the road from the beach that she killed herself. So lots of times late at night, that's where we went to, like 12, 1 a.m. in the morning. You know, we put some uh, Dark Throne on or some Morbid Angel, see if we can summon the ghost of Kitty Casey. Because one time me and my friends went in, they had airsoft guns. And eventually all I heard was, pop, 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 pop. We gotta get out of here. Oh, my God. I just seen a headless ghost. And, like, to get there, you got one of those big metal gates you see in, on dirt roads. And, like, one of my buddies, I'm pretty sure he just sprinted. It was like Olympics on to go. He just jumped up. Lock up AK-47 airsoft gun. He's like, drive, drive, now, we gotta go. <laughs> One of the most fun nights I ever had as a teenager. <laughs> um, I guess maybe just final words? Sure. Um, hope everybody is staying safe out there during COVID. Uh, our new album, Riverbed Empire, is out now. You can buy it online at www.stillheavyproductions.bigcom. Also check us out on Facebook at Winter Hearth. The album is also available on all streaming platforms. And uh, seriously, be sure to check out the site. I'm pretty excited. For the first time ever, we got bandanas. And when I held the bandanas in my hand, I was just floored. I'd like to thank everyone who always helped me throughout the years. My manager, Tony, at Still Heavy Productions. If you got Tony on your side, he does what a manager is exactly supposed to be. You need a manager that's aggressive, but also assertive and knows how to pick their battles. Because... A passive manager, and this is a lesson for all you younger bands out there, a passive manager will get you nowhere in life. I mean, some say that honey will get you further, but not when it comes to music to the music industry, which some people coins the devil's industry, you know? <laughs> and also, thanks to Heavy Newfoundland and Greg for always helping us in curating Newfoundland music. And everyone stay safe. This has been an interview with Andrew Marsh, singer and guitarist for Winter Hearth by Nick Perkel, on Sunday, August 23rd, 2020.